All right, well, welcome back to Noob School. I've got another great friend going all the way back to high school, uh, my good friend Billy Campbell. Thanks for being here, Billy. Pleasure, John. Billy has uh, achieved many things uh, in life so far, uh, including running the Discovery Channel, which uh, is kind enough to have my son Jack intern at, so I got to visit a couple of times, uh, as well as a big part of ABC television at one time. And some other things we'll talk about. So he's definitely in the entertainment world, achieved a lot. Um, but what we like to do, as you know, is back up to the beginning, kind of start maybe high school, college time, and figure out what he did to get there. And of course, how sales, you know, salesmanship played a part in that, because these things don't come, you know, from filling out a form on a computer, right? You have to use your your skills to get there. So. I know when I met you, you had just moved here from Charlotte Correct. to Greenville, right? And your, yep. dad, your dad came to run a, a, some textile company? He did. He got a promotion. And I still remember, you know, after my eighth grade, excited to go into high school and play with uh, sports, football, basketball, and baseball with all my buddies yeah. that you know a lot of up yeah. in Charlotte. Yeah. And uh, at dinner one night, mom said, well, <laughs> just want to let you know, dad uh, got a promotion. Awesome. We're moving to Greenville. Uh-huh. And when you grow up in North Carolina, moving to South Carolina, <laughs> yeah. you know, was not the first thing on your list. Yeah. Um, but my mom uh, listened to me sort of squawk for a few minutes and then said, OK, enough of that. We're we're on we're on the team and yeah. we're, on, we're on board. And uh, she did have, as usual, uh, like your mom, this great apocryphal advice, which was you're going to end up having friends in both places. Yeah. And you're going to love Greenville. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And the other advantage, too, and you probably don't remember this mm-hmm. in terms of a comparative, but back then, back in the day, we were able to get our driver's license at 15. Uh-huh. Remember that? Yeah. So I, so one of the advantages is I'm driving around, you know, as soon as I get here, get my license, and uh, all my buddies in Charlotte were pretty, uh, <laughs> were still pretty um, upset about that. Yeah. But I, I do remember coming to uh, Christ Church and, and coming in. And like you, one of the things that really made a huge difference for me was the friendliness of, of, of all you guys. Yeah. Because y'all had such a, y'all were like band of brothers, you know, yeah. in terms of that grade. Yeah. The eighth grade, when I was in ninth, we all immediately became friends through sports. Yeah. Uh, football. Sports. And then you and I played basketball forever. Yeah. And, um, so... Yeah, it's 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 those are just fine memories, and and to be back with you now, uh, is forty five years later is, <laughs> is is really fun, um, and I'm really proud of you. You know, Thank in you. terms of all that you've accomplished with not only your business and the noob school and all the things you're doing and writing books, but you, um, I just love the fact that you are such an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and you're playing your horn all over the world. Mm-hmm. You just told me you might be going to Barcelona. Yeah. So um, it's it's a privilege to be here with you today. Thank you. Appreciate that. You inspired me to do these things. Um, well, I remember when you got to school, one of the first things I noticed about you, because I, I didn't meet you on day one, was you immediately were hanging out and talking to like juniors and seniors, you know, like Murray Huell and some of these people that I, I, would, I was kind of scared of, you know, <laughs> and, and I, I couldn't quite understand it. And I suppose it was just your comfort in dealing with let's say, higher authority or, or older people. I don't know where that came from. Well, I, I have to give a lot of the credit, you know, probably to my mom for, for just sort of saying, you know, listen, just be confident in whatever you're doing. Yeah. Be, your, be yourself. Yeah. But I also really have to say that 
I think, you know, and this isn't a Christchurch commercial. That's mm-hmm. not what your, your podcast is about. But um, it was such a <clears throat> warm, welcoming environment to yeah. come and not know anyone yeah. when I came there. And I immediately started playing football. So I had some friends, you know, Kane and Donnie yeah. and Earl and you yeah. know, the group right off the bat in Quattlebaum. And then uh, all of a sudden, you know, we start playing basketball. Yeah. I was really lucky because at the time, Coach Tate, yeah. who was our coach, was great. Um, gave me a shot. So I ended up being able to start as a freshman. Yeah. And so I really think a lot of what you're talking about yeah. was the assimilation into a team environment. Right. And yes, Murray and Pace and yeah. John Colts and yeah. that whole group were, were, we were so much younger. They were, those, they were the guys, right. they were the studs. Yeah. And so, um, but I think when you get into an environment where you share a lot of sort of you know, commonality or similarities or, or passions, mm-hmm. um, it makes it a lot easier. And, and I think in your book, you know, you talk about that a lot in terms of sales because I know you always try to twist things yeah. to think about it from a sales perspective. But I think that great salespeople are able to relate to other people mm-hmm. in really unique ways. Yes. And as you know, if you can get someone to tell you about themselves mm-hmm. and you're a good listener, mm-hmm. next thing you know, you sort of have a, have a bond yes. and they feel comfortable. So right. I think for me that that I was lucky because I, I, I was a decent athlete. And, and so that threw me right into a group of, of right. guys that were fun. Well, I'd forgotten that. that. That makes sense that when you were in ninth grade, you were a starter on the varsity basketball team. And so all, it was normal that you would know all those guys. Well, and the funny part about it was I still did not have my driver's license uh-huh. yet. And so Pace Beatty, yeah. um, who had his Mercedes, yeah. you know, um, drove me home every day. <laughs> and so, so, you know, by, by, by sheer force... Um, I, you know, had that moment, those times right. with those guys. Right. And uh, so, but I really think competing and, and being on a team together uh, is, is, as you know, the best salespeople are, are teammates. Yeah. <clears throat> so I think that for me, um, sports really opened a lot of doors. But, mm-hmm. but I, Christ Church made it, you know, yeah. it was a special place. And it was. Both sports and academics that we could sort yep. of enjoy. <clears throat> well, a lot of great salespeople, not all of them, but a lot of them, have a background in sports, um, you know, because they, I guess, they get used to competing and they exactly. want to win, and they kind of, you know, you've, you've, you've hung up your shoes for the last time, but you can still compete to make that number every month. So I think sports is good for sales. But on sports with you, you know, one thing that I certainly noticed was when you you were a standout in football, basketball, baseball. Did you play any other sports? Did you do any track or anything? Well, you know, I, I wasn't near. No, I didn't. I, I, but I was your. I wasn't your caliber. But I love tennis. You play tennis, and and I started to learn to play golf a little bit. Okay, you know, I never really yeah. got to the level of a lot of our friends. Yeah. But I was a you know middle teens handicap guy, so I've been able to enjoy the sport That's you know good. for years. Um, and I I can hit one shot that looks like I'm Tiger Woods, <laughs> and then the next shot looks I'm hitting it with a rake. Yeah. Um, but I think that. Again, the, the part you're talking about with sales is, um, and then I know one of the things you had sent me, and you do talk about, about sales, and, and it kind of reminded me of, as you mentioned it, about coming into a new environment, is how do you get your foot in the door? Yeah. And to me, because you had asked me to think about that on the sales front, that to me is the key, is how do you get someone to be willing to listen to you? Mm-hmm. And I've got some good, fun anecdotes that we'll talk about later when good. I was at Discovery. And, yeah. you know, my, the best salesman I've ever seen worked for me. Okay. And um, he had some really good, good. good tricks. Well, <clears throat> sticking with sports for just a, a few, few more minutes. So, you know, you were a very good player on all those 
all those uh, areas. But there was other players that, you know, were also very good. So I wouldn't say you were necessarily the best player on each of those sports, but you were very good. But you were the captain <laughs> of each of those sports, football, basketball, and baseball. And you weren't the person who'd been at that school for 15 years either. You, didn't, you weren't the most popular because you'd been there the longest. And so, I mean, I felt like you certainly deserved that, but I'm not sure. I can't really put into words why that is. So it's, it's leadership, obviously. And I, I wanted to get your opinion on, you know, what is this about you that would get you to, to, to be elected by your teammates in all those sports to be the leader? Well, that's a great question, and I, I, don't, I don't know that I have the perfect answer. Uh-huh. Um, I think, um, for me, great leaders are people that uh, don't try to be something they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, someone who's, it reminds me of the movie, one of my favorite movies, um, is Braveheart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you sort of think back to the Mel Gibson character at the end, um, you know, things were looked tough. But he was willing to be the first one up the mountain. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I think that a captain or a great teammate or, or a great leader is always one that's willing to step forward, mm-hmm. even especially when things are, at, you know, you're having adversity. Right. I think for me, a lot of it is also, John, is communication. And um, a, a really good leader and a good uh, t- captain in, in sports is someone who makes sure that they care as much about the youngest or the least talented person as they do the the other Mm -hmm. and so again i think that maybe you know a little bit of a lesson from my mom on that was um you know treat everybody the way that you want to be treated Mm -hmm. so um i I, there's almost nothing that you can say today that will be as um complimentary to me as what you just said Mm. about being being the captain and and you know leading so i i appreciate that and that's uh uh, it's humbling. Good. Well, it's true. And I, I saw with my own eyes how you treated people of all levels <clears throat> at the school, on the team and off the team. So that's a, that's a really good lesson in leadership for the, for the noobs that are watching is just how you treat everybody. And everyone sees that. Well, you, you lead into something else that I think as you talk about, as we talk about my career a little bit, <clears throat> which I think is part of being um, – you know, trying to be great. Uh, all of us want to be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes there are barriers that are in our way. There are our own barriers we create. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're physical. Sometimes they're mental. Sometimes they're emotional. But I think that being a leader is also similar to being successful in other things, which is be willing to raise your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think back to uh, football or, or certainly our basketball. Um, and it may not have been the right decision sometimes, but I, I definitely wanted to take the last shot. Yeah. No, when I was a senior and you were a junior yeah. and you were a stud, <laughs> you wanted to take the last shot. Yeah. But I think together, one reason we had such success at Christ Church and, and, and had, had so much fun and, and won a lot of big games is that, um, you know what, you're, you're willing to, uh, you, you, you accept the pressure. Mm-hmm. You actually relish the pressure a mm-hmm. little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of leadership is being excited about the pressure, but also not letting it change who you are or the way that you're supposed to do something. Mm-hmm. So. Well, <clears throat> let this, uh, another, another positive. Unfortunately, I don't, for the viewers, I don't have many negatives for Billy here. But another positive in your life that I admired was the Eagle Scout thing that you did in high school. And again, while we were running around, you know, 
stealing beer out of someone's refrigerator and you know joyriding around. You know, <laughs> Y'all were having a lot more fun. I was I was studying merit badges. You, you were doing merit badges, <laughs> and we used to like. I mean, we didn't like laugh at you, but we were like, sure you what? did. It's no, okay. I mean maybe we did, but you never saw any of that. No, it, it was uh, it was kind of like wow, what is he doing? You know, what's, what's wrong he, with him? What's he doing this for? It's Boy Scouts, but. I, in my life, have known about six Eagle Scouts, and they're all outstanding, outstanding in every field. And, and is, this, is this a similar thing you've seen, and what is it about it that, that helps people prepare for that? Well, that's another great question because, sadly, in today's world, um, scouting has sort of fallen off the mm-hmm. cliff a little bit. Mm-hmm. I hope it'll come back. Um, the Boy Scouts of America, I think, probably hadn't been organized to run very well for a long time. <clears throat> but the, the basic tenets of being a Boy Scout are fantastic. It's about learning about leadership, about yeah. being in a patrol, yeah. about um, learning. Uh, at that time, I had to get 24 merit badges. Yeah. So just think about it. That, that's 24 different topics. Yeah. I may not want to study every one of them, right. but I'm going to learn something about each one. Right. Some of them are going to become passions or yeah. are passions. Yeah. But I think that, that and, and again, I, I, I salute my mom a little bit on this because I didn't, I wasn't 12 or 13 living in Charlotte and going, hey, mom, I want to go to, to Scouts. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was like, you know what, Billy, you'll, you're going to be doing the Boy Scouts, yeah. you know? And I think that what I really enjoyed was that you, and, and you've got the military background with bit. your time at Citadel. Yeah, a little bit. Um, which is, you pay your dues. Mm-hmm. And so you're a tenderfoot. Mm-hmm. And then you become a second class. And then you put, so you're earning your way up, but right. you're learning the whole time. But you don't just sort of jump to Eagle Scout. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a process. Mm-hmm. So I felt at the end that I really earned it yeah. because I had 24 merit badges. I had been uh, the troop leader, patrol leader. Yeah. We'd been to jamborees. Mm-hmm. And so I just I think that it helped me to become a little more well-rounded. Mm-hmm. Um, my nephews are both Eagle Scouts. Mm-hmm. Wow, uh, that's my great. Sisters, so yeah. I'm really proud of them. Great. Uh, and and I, I do agree with you that when I look at someone's resume— there are usually three or four things that jump out to me. Yeah. If someone's an Eagle Scout, I have a bond. Yeah. And I immediately say, tell me about your, your senior project. Mm-hmm. What was your Eagle project? Mm-hmm. Um, and what was your favorite merit badge? Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it's a little bit of a, of a stamp of someone who was willing to work mm-hmm. and you know, work your way up and, and learn. And it also has a lot to do with you know, patriotism and faith. And so those were things that were just always important to me. And, Again, I kind of thank my mom for giving me the nudge a little bit, but I did I did like it when I got into it. Yeah. Well, I I think I would have because I I mean I, I probably am getting you know ten or twelve merit badges every year now with STEM. You learning, are. I'm learning things, and you're one of the most curious people yeah. that I and I love that curiosity. If if when I meet someone, go back to your sales thing yeah. when I'm trying to interview someone, um, if they're not curious, yeah, and I can tell within ten or fifteen minutes, yeah. I know that they're probably not going to thrive in, in, in an environment that I'm yeah. leading. One last high school question, then we'll move on. But unlike me and every single other of our social friends that I can think about in high school, and you were just right, you were just one of our great friends, but you were the only one who didn't drink alcohol. And I was just always wondering how that happened and why you decided to do that and what difference this made in your life. You know, I've been asked that a lot, and um, I was certainly asked that a lot in high school. I bet, yeah. And, and in college. Sure, I asked you. Um, I, I wish I had, you know, just this perfect answer to tell you. Mm-hmm. When I moved here, uh, again, it was a fish out of water, mm-hmm. 15 years old. 
getting ready to do all the fun things that we all dreamed of, yeah. you know, in, in coming into high school, which is with, with your buddies and you're going to start playing sports and go to high school. Yeah. And so all of that changed. Um, again, I thought it was going to be disastrous. I'm moving from Charlotte to Greenville, South yeah. Carolina. Yeah. And yet it, it was the opposite. Yeah. You know, my mom, as usual, was sort of right. So the alcohol yeah. thing was, <clears throat> so we, we're here for about two months. Mm-hmm. And I all of a sudden get invited to go to a high school fraternity party. Revelers. Well, number one, yes, revelers. <laughs> I've never heard of that. Yeah. I don't know what that means. Yeah. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And... <laughs> As a, as a reveler as well, yeah. you remember that those parties were fun. Okay? Me- I don't know. It was a mess. It was a mess. Yeah. Um, but I think that I was so into sports. Yeah. And um, so initially, I was just like, that's not for me. Mm-hmm. And what happened, I think, which was really um, a revelation, was that as time went on, I found that I didn't need that mm-hmm. to have fun. Mm-hmm. You know me, we're going to talk music yeah. at some point because yeah. I played not very well, but played the saxophone yeah. too yeah. and love music and love to dance. And so <laughs> those things were enough for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I also found something in college that I don't think we've ever talked about, which is kind of ironic, which was we'd be, I'd be at a party mm-hmm. and uh, in the dorm with a group of guys, a bunch of people, and I'd think that I was having a really interesting conversation with someone mm-hmm. and maybe even a debate. Yeah. Well, so the next day at the dining room, I'd sit down with them and say, hey, great seeing you last night. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about what you said. And um, <laughs> you made some good points last night. And almost yeah. 100% of the time, John, the comment would be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I have no recollection of that. Yeah. So, so there was part of me that was like, Wow. That's kind of a waste of time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I ha- almost every one of my friends drinks. And, of course, now everyone's a wine connoisseur, um, <laughs> which I think is one of the greatest scams in the history of the world. Because, mm-hmm. you know, people are willing to pay that much money for something that's gone that quickly. But I appreciate their yeah. love for it yeah. and studying. And I've gotten to know, you know, um, uh, vintners and all this kind of stuff. I think for me it's just been... Um, I don't have any issue with anybody drinking mm-hmm. alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, most of my friends, my family do, and they enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I think as long as it's done where it's um, productive, yeah. I think it's great. It yeah. does scare me a little bit sometimes mm-hmm. when I see, you know, what it can do to people's lives. Yeah. And, I, and again, I go back to that selfish part, which is when you're with me, I hope that the next day you say, that was pure. Yeah. That was that was pure Billy. That was a good yeah. I- I conversation, good yeah. experience. We we and you know me, I love to dance. I'll, I'll have as much fun as anybody. It was just one of those things where I just um, there was tons of peer pressure. Yeah, uh, to yeah. to do that, but I, I really felt like you know what I I like what I'm doing, mm-hmm. and and I was I was on a good track. Mm-hmm. Well, I say that's a good call. That's a good call. <clears throat> um, more people, more people are considering that decision now. A lot more people, young people, figuring out that it's not all it's cracked up to be in the commercial. One thing I love about what's happening <clears throat> with certainly young people, but really I think globally, is um, people are focusing much more on wellness, mm-hmm. you know, and living yeah. longer. Right. And it's kind of amazing to see right. where we think longevity. That's yeah. a whole other podcast. Yeah. Um, but again, I think. It's like everything in yeah. moderation. Yeah. I think it's fine, and right. I think it's great. I just alcohol uh, scared me a little bit because I saw what it did to some relatives. Mm-hmm. I saw what it did to some friends, 
And every year, you know, it happens in Greenville, it happens in, in uh, down at the beach where I live, it happens all over. Alcohol leads to people doing stuff that mm -hmm. they shouldn't and it turns into tragedy. Right. So um, anyway, that's a whole whole. It's another 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 conversation. Yeah. Um, okay, <clears throat> so we're finishing up high school, and I didn't even know you were applying to Harvard. But you came walking in the gym one day. You're like, "Hey, Sterling, look at this!" And you had a letter of acceptance to Harvard. And I mean, normally, the people who got into Harvard, I knew they all had like 4.0s, and they were in the library the whole time. You didn't have a 4.0, did you? I did not. Okay, you had good grades. I no. did well. I was, I was, you know, near the top of the class. But there were, there were definitely smarter people, and there were people that um, did better than I did. Um, the, the Harvard story is a fun story for lots of reasons. When I lived in Charlotte, and I was in fourth or fifth grade, one of my best friends mm -hmm. that we hung out and rode bikes together all the time, his older brother had gone to a prep school from Charlotte mm -hmm. and then went to Harvard. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure, but these are the you know moments in life where people sort of you know take you under their wing or touch yeah. touch you in a way that that leads you down a different track. He always was nice. I mean, he was he was eight years older, yeah. and he was always so nice to me. Yeah. And he sent me a gray Harvard T-shirt mm. as a freshman. Yeah. So I remember wearing that T-shirt all the time. <laughs> and and there was a moment in time, and I can't pinpoint it, but I think it was probably in sixth or seventh grade, where I decided that's where I wanted to go. Okay. I didn't talk about it. Yeah. But the reason I decided to go there was because based on everything I had heard and seen, and I had a friend, older brother that was there, friend's older brother, was, <clears throat> it was the best school. Mm -hmm. So that was the goal. Yeah. So the fun part is when I did apply, I didn't make a big deal. I didn't talk about it. I, it was very unlikely that I would get in. Yeah. Thank goodness I was from South Carolina, and they had a quota, and they needed the South, you know, some South Carolinians. <clears throat> but I ended up uh, applying there in, in, in Clemson, mm -hmm. and my dad went to Clemson, as mm -hmm. you know. And, and so the, I think the funnest part was I did get in early action and came to basketball practice and yeah. showed, showed you the yeah. note. Yeah. And there's a funny reaction that a couple people had. <laughs> but I didn't hear or get into Clemson until May. <laughs> and so my dad, being a great Clemson graduate, yeah. always said, thank goodness Clemson still thoroughly reviews all of their applicants. Okay? <laughs> so we had fun with that. But I remember coming to the team and you and, and sort of we all kind of celebrated, oh, wow, you're going to go to Harvard and that kind of thing. And then I remember a couple of them later saying, I'm, we're so proud of you and so happy, but you're really not going to go, are you? <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I think there was always sort of this um, disbelief, uh -huh. like, one, that I got in, but two, <laughs> why would you actually go there when you could go to the Citadel or Clemson yeah. or Carolina or, yeah. or North Carolina? And and I have to say, when I went, it was like I landed on another planet. <laughs> I didn't know anybody. Yeah. Um, my accent stuck out. Yeah. There was no sweet tea. No blue blazers. No, <laughs> very few blue blazers. I walked down the street and said hello to some man, and he just walked right by me. <laughs> so, and and my first day of class is kind of a one I'll always remember. Is I I was going into the science center, and I opened the door to let a young lady go through, and she wouldn't go through. Hmm. And so we just kind of stood there, and I said, "No." And she goes, "I can open the door for myself." <laughs> so that was a moment where I was like. I wish I could be back. Yeah. I made the wrong call. Yeah. You know? But it turned out, and I was really homesick. Uh -huh. you, you probably remember that. The first bit. time I got to come home was to see you guys. I came straight to your basketball game. Yeah. I think you're yeah. playing over at Oakway or somewhere. But as time went on, that homesickness kind of you know waned a little bit. It lasted most of freshman year. But I made some great friends. Yeah. And, and what I really loved was being able to expose 
that part of our country, which is a, a really cool and, and, and beautiful part um, in a different way, big city, mm-hmm. to, you know, friends. That, you know, a bunch of y'all came up there. Yeah, yeah. And you played, uh, I know you played basketball there, and you played, did you play baseball there too? I did not. I just, just played, played just basketball. Basketball, okay. Um, and what did, you, what did you study at Harvard? Well, that's a great question because I, being a liberal arts college, I didn't have that many choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to, I knew I was interested in business, so I took economics. Okay. Um, it's, what's funny is that now today, when I make talks to students, I almost guide all of them away from economics. Okay. And the reason is not that you don't need a few economics classes, but wow, those four years are such a unique time in your life. Do think, do study something that you'll never have the opportunity to do again. Right. Get a good foundation in economics, but boy, if I could have those three classes back that I had to study microeconomic mm-hmm. theory, um, which really hasn't done much, you know, to propel me or yeah. or, or, or push me in different directions. Study philosophy. Mm-hmm. Take, I wish I could could have majored in literature. Mm-hmm. Think back. Our, yeah. our lives are so busy now. Yeah. When do you have time to read books? Yeah. That's an opportunity to, to be with people and just talk about great literature. Mm-hmm. So in hindsight, that was a mistake. I wish I had majored in something else. Um, but it, it kind of led me, you know, along a track. And, and then, you know, it, it probably did help me a little bit in terms of I went to Wall Street, you know, mm-hmm. for my first job after college. And, <clears throat> and you made, I'm, I'm sure, a lot of good friends and contacts there. And that's one of the reasons you might go to a school like that is to have those contacts that are those people are out doing very interesting things, I would think. Well, I, I, I think you nailed the best part about Harvard, mm-hmm. which is uh, it pushed me in ways that I, I didn't know that or to do things that I didn't know yeah. that I was capable of, but also exposed you to people that really had a similar view which is I want to try to go to the best school. Mm-hmm. But whether Harvard's the best school or not, you know, those right. rankings, come, but, but we always know it's one of the top mm-hmm. schools. And I think the reason is because of the tradition, obviously the professors, but it's the students. Yeah. And so it's a magnet for people from all over the world. So, you know, my, my, my two roommates, it's a fun story. I think you've probably met them along the way or, or know about them, but my two roommates, I got very lucky. Uh, my, the first year I roomed with a, a, a guy who literally is a rocket scientist mm-hmm. involved with SpaceX mm-hmm. and lives out in California. And um, he was from Connecticut. And my second roommate now is a Catholic priest mm-hmm. and lives in Colorado. Wow. Both fantastic guys. But I was really into the sports and doing my basketball. So I ended up meeting two other fellows from Wilmington, Delaware, and I roomed with them. Both of them are doctors, mm-hmm. or, or were doctors, mm-hmm. and they're 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 great guys. One is Dr. Oz, mm, okay, yeah, yeah. and the other is the head of lung cancer surgery at Duke, Dr. D'Amico. Okay. And being a television guy, which we'll get into later, mm-hmm. I always used to love, you know, when I was at an event, I'd have these two brilliant surgeons, mm-hmm. and I could always put my arms around them and say to whoever we were talking to, thank goodness one of us is giving back to society. <laughs> so they always thought that was kind of funny, yeah. you know, because yeah. of, of, of uh, me being in television. Yeah. But I, I think that Harvard's best, greatest asset is, is the people that come through there. Yeah. And um, you, do, you are exposed to different perspectives and points of view than you would get probably yeah, and, anywhere else. And most of them are wrong, I would think. I think so, um, <laughs> or I'm always told that. But I think that's an excellent point um, for people who are raising kids and stuff is, you know, one reason you might want to go to a school like that is all those kids that go there want to be the best, not just at that school, but they want to be the best at whatever they're going to do next. And you want to know those kind of people. Well, and you, you, it's also an awakening when 
I thought I was a really good student, uh-huh. and I thought I was a very good writer. Uh-huh. And we had to take, the one of the classes we had to take, all freshmen had to take expository writing. So the first theme was, um, you know, uh, describe, you know, a, a, a summer experience that you had that you, you know, we all have to do that. Mm-hmm. I was positive I was going to get an A mm-hmm. on that. So I, I had nailed it. So I remember getting it back and it was a C plus. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd ever gotten that great in my life. <laughs> and and I, I remember going, wow, and there's things in the market. So I went to see the teacher and the, the best part was she was an excellent teacher. Yeah. And she really wanted to teach and, and, and be a mentor. And so she said, I think you have the potential to be a very good writer, yeah. but we have a long way to go. Okay, so it, I think that that getting to a place like Harvard, where so many smart people are there, and everybody was probably one of the smartest in their or yeah. highest achievers in their high school. Sure. So all of a sudden, you're you're no longer kind of big fish, small pond. Mm-hmm. It's really the opposite. Yeah. So how you handle that, I think, is is um, is important in life, and. You know, you and I have talked about my uh, time in entertainment for a mm-hmm. long time. Mm-hmm. It's exactly the same thing that happens in Hollywood, mm-hmm. which is writer, director, especially actor. Mm-hmm. They're always the best, the best looking, whatever, yeah. in their community yeah. and said, you need to go to L.A. Yeah. Well, all of a sudden you get there and guess what? There are a hundred other people in that line <laughs> yeah. that are equally, if not better, looking and more talented yeah. than you. So how do you sort of handle that transition? And I think part of that is... Ending up really having a ballast, you know, yeah. that what's important to you and, and always focus on the things that are strengths of yours. Right. Not being committed, not quitting, pushing forward. I think about, look, this might be a bit of a stretch, but I think about Larry Bird a lot. <clears throat> and, you know, certainly a top 10 all time basketball player, but he could have quit so easily just by convincing himself that he can't jump. That he's he didn't go to finish college. He couldn't hack it. You know, a little slow. Little slow. Yeah. You know, I mean, all these reasons. And you look at the 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 you know Olympic athletes right there in front of you, and you're like, I, I don't know. And and something in his head would not. He just he felt the opposite. He had two things that I think are great for salespeople too, which is self confidence. Yeah. And um, a competitive spirit. Yeah. He was the most competitive guy ever. You know, yeah. we read about all these stories now. Yeah. I don't know that you, if you remember this. I was so lucky when Larry Bird was drafted mm-hmm. by the Boston Celtics. So I'm there, freshman year. Yeah, he's drafted. I got to go see his first game. Really? I was in the garden. They released a white dove, and it flew all around and landed <laughs> on the scoreboard. Oh, that's so great! Yeah. And did, did he light it up that night? Uh, of course. Yeah. And he trash talked his way all day the way one. Through. Yeah. He was pure. He was he was um, pure in the way he played. He played a fundamental game. He, he was tough as nails, but he 100% probably had the greatest self-confidence of anyone I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. All right, so good experience, great experience at Harvard. And then, as I recall, you did something with the Rotary Club in China? So after, right after college, I, I, I was a financial analyst uh, for Smith Barney in mergers and acquisitions in New York because that was really kind of your almost your path from – you know, college to get to, to business, business school. school. I wanted okay. to go to business school. Yeah. But I had heard through some older friends mm-hmm. about this amazing experience they had had living abroad. And it was through the Rotary, yeah. Rotary International. Yeah. So I ended up saying, well, maybe I could finish the Wall Street experience, detour, if I was lucky enough, and then go back. Mm-hmm. And it ended up being just really fortunate that I had 
uh, some wonderful supporters here with the Greenville Rotary Club. Mm -hmm. And I applied and I, I went and I studied at the Chinese University of Hong Kong, mm -hmm. played basketball yeah. um, there. But I took Mandarin, Chinese culture, Chinese history, yeah. um, made some really lifelong friends. There were two other Rotarians that are, that are great friends of yeah. mine, one from Arkansas and one from Indiana, and got to see that part of the world. Mm -hmm. And it was all through what Rotary asks you to do is to be an ambassador of goodwill. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty easy ask. Yeah. And so the, the, the scales are way outweighed toward the benefit I got for what Rotary got. Mm -hmm. What I've loved is that through the years, I've been able to speak to Rotary clubs mm -hmm. around the world yeah. and tell them about that experience yeah. um, and give back. But I, I could never repay them for, for what Rotary did. That's great. What city was that in? Hong Here? Kong. Hong Kong, okay. The old That's Hong Kong. Cool. The old so Hong the Kong. new Hong Kong um, is sadly not anything like the old one. That was, when I was there, it was still a British colony. Mm -hmm. It was just, um, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, it was like 1985, and, and that was when... Uh, the lease, the 99-year lease with mm -hmm. China was coming up, and um, the British basically ceded the colony back to the Chinese. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't going to happen until you know, like 1998 or something like that. But I was there really, I think, was part of the heyday, mm -hmm. which was it was still a British colony, yet very Chinese, mm -hmm. um, dual languages, and unbelievable sort of entrepreneurial spirit. Mm -hmm. Sadly, I think today, you know, it's, it's part of China. Mm -hmm. And so they, you've seen all the protests and things. So I was lucky that I got to live there then. It was one of the most remarkable cities in the world. And I could use it as during holiday time. Yeah. I went to India. Mm -hmm. I went to Malaysia. Mm -hmm. I went to Indonesia, Japan, a month in China, played basketball in China. And uh, so I, I just think that was one of the greatest years of my life. And I, I would encourage anyone um, that's coming along who's under, I think, 25 or 26 yeah. to apply for a Rotary Scholarship because you can apply to go anywhere you want in the world. Cool. Yeah, as long as there's a Rotary Club there. Huh. So I, I, I'm, I'm forever indebted to the Greenville yeah. Rotary for that experience. That's great. And I <clears throat> we've talked about it before at the Noob School, and I think it's in my book somewhere, but I'm a big uh, recommender of taking a year to do something outside of this country. If you get a Rotary scholarship, that's probably a great thing. But even if you just travel around the world or work on a sheep ranch in Australia, you know, anything to be different. And when I was that age, I was like, I don't know if I want to give up a year of working. I'll get behind. Exactly and right. It doesn't matter. It's a pressure thing. It doesn't matter. So you, you nailed it. I 100% agree. First of all, I just think, you know, it's just my uh, personal patriotic view on this. I would have loved it if we were all either drafted mm -hmm. or had the opportunity to serve the country yeah. for one year yeah. or, or 18 months. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, you know, that doesn't really exist anymore. And, and you do feel like if sometimes if you do that, then you're falling behind. Mm -hmm. But what, and, and I find this fascinating, Harvard, they haven't done it yet, but they're, they're edging there in their admissions process is, and what you're really referencing is a gap year. Mm -hmm. And so that gap between graduating from high school and being a freshman in college, I couldn't agree more. It's a perfect time to yeah. go do something, see the world, yeah. try several things, live. People from all over the world, Australia, Croatia, mm -hmm. New Zealand, they travel. They can't wait to be 18 and have their passport right. and go. Right. And I think sometimes Americans are a little too focused on what's my job going to be? Mm -hmm. What's next? Yeah. I need to go. I got to be a freshman. Yeah. I think it's changing. And I think you'll start to see more universities 
because you, you'll end up coming back appreciating the educational experience yeah. much more yeah. than I think when you just go at 18. Yeah. I, I agree and, with you. And you've seen more resumes than I have, but I like it when someone says, I spent a year in Australia or something like that. I'm like, oh, that this is a different person. And um, they, they have a much grander worldview. Right. And I think that that's especially growing up here where we love it so much. Yeah. And it, it is the best place in the world. Yeah. I've been all over. You've been all over. And we chose to be back in South Carolina. But there are some amazing places. Yeah. And you learn a lot about yourself, but you really learn a lot about other people. And other there are other ways to look at things. Mm-hmm. And so that, for me, is... I love, you know me, I love travel, mm-hmm. and, and you do too. You're getting ready to go play your horn in Spain. So, That's right. That's um, right. Well, <clears throat> I want to back up a little bit because we skipped over the investment banking thing. So college, investment banking, then the, uh, the year in China. Um, but I know what that's like. At least I've had friends tell me about it. I mean, it's a lot of like you're working for an investment bank. You're a noob. You're a newbie. You are. And even if you went to Harvard, you're having to make 100 calls a day. Or Tell us about that experience and what you learned about sales. Well, so my job was, was not really um, sales-oriented, okay. but it taught me about sales. Okay. And I was an analyst, a financial analyst. Uh, for Smith Barney in their merger and acquisition area. Mm-hmm. So what that really meant was I was doing all the background work okay. for prospective mergers or acquisitions mm-hmm. or purchases of companies. Um, I worked for the partners. Uh, so you're right. I was doing 100 hours a week, mm-hmm. if, if, if not more. Mm-hmm. You, you, you really didn't sleep a whole lot, but you, you were learning so much. Mm-hmm. Those were the first times at age 22, 23 that I, was, I worked on projects and I was, uh, we were flying to Seattle. And we flew to Vancouver, and we flew to Los Angeles. <laughs> wait, wait a second now. I remember, I just remember the story you told me <clears throat> about your first big business trip as a young investment banker, and y- y'all flew to Seattle and went to the hotel, and didn't you follow the guy into his room? And you thought it <laughs> you was like... A, you have a good memory. It was two, you thought it was two to a room. Well, like, that, like it's a little bit to- embarrassing, but it's a, <laughs> but it's a, it's a funny story. It, and yes, and it, it shows a little bit of naivete. Yeah, me too. Um, it was my first big project working there, and we were working on a project in Houston, yeah. okay? And it was for an engineering company. I'd done all this work, and I'd prepared these huge books yeah. and these binders and rushed to the airport with my, you know, he, the boss meets me there. Yeah. You know, I've been working 48 straight hours. Yeah. And back then, we didn't have computers. We had to use word processors for mm-hmm. the people upstairs, yeah. and you waited and looked at it and edited it. So it's, it's so funny when I kid my, my nephews, and you probably do that with your kids about social media and, mm-hmm. and iPhones and all that. We didn't have any of that. It was all, I I did common stock comparisons by hand. But I remember I was so excited because we were flying down to to Houston. We were staying at the um, uh, the Houston, uh, I think it was the Weston Galleria or one of the Four Seasons Galleria, a really nice hotel. And I remember calling my mom and saying, well, I'll call you from from down there. And, and, you know, it's it's my first road trip. And I'd probably been at the company for about five or six months. So... I was a little bit nervous. Did yeah. I do the presentation right? You know, you're with the partner. Yeah. I get on the plane. The door closes. We're flying to Houston. We get there. We were a little bit delayed. We get there around midnight. I'd never been on a business trip. Mm-hmm. So we, we go up, and, and he's, he's checking in, um, and I'm just kind of just standing off to the side. He's yeah. signing all his stuff, whatever. And so he kind of looks at me <laughs> after he gets his stuff and says, ready? And I'm like, Yeah. I've got my book bags and my, my suitcase. And um, so, you know, we're, we get on the elevator and go up to, um, you know, like the 19th floor or something uh-huh. like that. And uh, 
we walk down the hall and I'm, you know, just following him. He, I, I assume he probably thinks I'm staying yeah. on the floor or whatever. Yeah. But anyway, long story short, he opens the door, goes in, and I just follow him right into the room. And he, I'll never forget, we laughed, we, we laughed about this for many, many years. He turns to me and goes, Billy, what are you doing? And I, I really don't know. I don't, yeah. It's not like a trick question or anything. Yeah. I go, well, I, I, this is our room, right? So all of a sudden it clicks for him. He goes, Billy, this is a business trip. We get our own rooms. Get our rooms. Okay? Yeah. You, you need to go back down to the lobby and get your room. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I learned that's so funny. Something and and but the fun part was he and I laughed about it. Yeah. For, for many many that's years. That's so funny because yeah. I mean on you know basketball trips and stuff like that it's always two to room and so we. That's a good memory, big because hey. that that's been a long time. It was in there. That's I, a, that's I've forgotten it was in there. Um, okay, so. You took that path, and it got you to. You wanted to be in business. You wanted to be a business person. Did you know? Did you think you wanted to be an investment banker full time at that point? So I'd say probably until about midway through. So it's a two year job. Yeah. Um, and then you kind of go back to business school or do whatever. I ended up doing the rotary thing, but yeah, I loved it. I first of all, was, the learning curve is so steep. Mm-hmm. Um, you're dealing with ultra smart people. Um, the mergers and acquisitions world at that time was really hopping. Yeah. Um, it's in the paper every single day, mm-hmm. front page of the Wall Street Journal. So I was intellectually challenged, and I was working with really smart people. Yeah. And and I thought it, I, I just thought every day was was like a sponge. Mm-hmm. I'd say about a year and a half into it, I started to realize some of the price I was paying because my buddies were were going out dancing. Um, my you know my family came to see me and it had Broadway tickets and I mm-hmm. couldn't go. Mm-hmm. And so that started to weigh on me just a little bit. But what really transformed me was um, winning the Rotary, being in Hong Kong. I was in a tiny room uh, in, a, in a graduate dorm yeah. with all Chinese students and um, no heating, no air conditioning. And I had a ton of time to, re- there was no TV or anything, a ton of time to just reflect. Mm-hmm. And I think what hit me that year was, you know, Intellectually, financially, all those things were, were up here in terms of being on Wall Street and merge. But I felt like in the end, I wasn't really producing anything. Mm. You know, I wasn't mm-hmm. making anything. Yeah. And while I, I liked it and I loved deal making, mm-hmm. um, I thought maybe there's got to be more. So mm-hmm. when I came back to business school, I think I had probably decided, I don't think I will go back to Wall Street. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Still love it. Follow yeah. the market. Some, yeah. But it, I, I missed... Um, and something else happened that you know that that's interesting that you kind of you always are great at reminding me of, of these things. I was working on a deal, and I'd been there about fifteen months, and I'd gotten very close mm-hmm. to one of the executives at a company. Mm-hmm. I think it was it was in Texas, and we were working. I was working hard. We were getting ready to fly down there. You know, we'd known each other for two months, pulling this together. And my boss walked in and looked at me and said, deal's off. Um, we're, we're not, I said, what do you mean? He said, well, it's just not going to work. Um, one of the parties is not interested, so, you know, shelve it, and we're, we're moving on to something else. Mm-hmm. So I remember a couple days later, uh, first of all, I was heartbroken, but a couple days later, I, I was on the phone with that same friend just mm-hmm. talking to him. And my boss kind of came and said, who are you talking to? And I said, oh, I'm talking to Steve, the guy down at me. He goes, Hang up. <laughs> so I remember hanging up, and he told me to come in, and he said, "Listen, that deal's over. Huh. We don't we don't have time. 
you, you need to start focusing on these other things. Mm. So I probably didn't know it at the moment, mm -hmm. but it, it probably affected me a little bit yeah. because I was like, well, wait a minute. What about the relationship? Right. What about the, the friendship? You know? right. And no, I'm not saying this, you know, overly critical of the partner. He, he's just trying, he wants to make money for the firm. Mm -hmm. But I think that that might've dissuaded me just a little bit mm -hmm. from, you know, I think life's more than just a pure transaction. Yeah. You know, we yeah. all have to do transactions and, yeah. you know, the best part of a sales thing is, you know, is, is when you close. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, the combination of that memory, missing a lot of things I thought were fun in life while I was an analyst and then being in Hong Kong going, I think there's some other, other avenues. Yeah. So it, it, it had me open minded yeah. when I came back to business school. And, and then you went ahead and said, well, I'm going to go to business school. And of course you got into Harvard business school, which again, arguably the best business school with an idea that you were going to put your antenna out and figure out what you did want to do with that. Right. Okay. And that that is uh, I think we all know it's it's famous for being a case study school. So they give you case studies of situations you study it and what would you do kind of thing. Yep. And you learned a lot there. I did, and I thought that the case study method was fantastic yeah. for most of the subjects. Yeah. It didn't work nearly as well for accounting, for mm. example. I think yeah. you probably need to learn the principles a little bit better. And that's always been an open criticism about the case. So, but but the way that I ended up getting my job. Mm -hmm was really through a case, you know, which really? I'll tell you, yeah, um, my second year. But, but to answer your question, I, I, I think that I, I loved coming in every day to every class, whether it was marketing, finance, human resource management. Um, it, it, it didn't really matter, or, or competitive strategy. And you were looking at a real-world example that had happened. It could have been six months ago because they had to have written the case. Mm -hmm. But usually, you know, we studied, you know, the whole Coca-Cola, mm -hmm. New Coke, mm -hmm. you know, snafu. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but what the case study method in Harvard does is put you in the role of the manager yeah. in different parts of that case. Yeah. And what would you have done? Right. And you don't have all of the data. Mm -hmm. You don't have all of the perfect, you know, um, uh, answers for what you need. But you take what you have mm -hmm. and you make the best decision you can. Yeah. And then you navigate if it's the wrong decision or what and say, how do I get out of that? How do I make a detour? Whatever. Yeah. So I think that the practice helped me a lot to be a manager. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure that Harvard's the perfect place um, if, you're, if you're not interested in management. Mm -hmm. you know? right. um, I always used to kind of kid because some of my friends were, were guys that had come from you know, selling toilet paper for P&G mm -hmm. or tires, you know, yeah. Goodrich or something like that. And what they really wanted was a track to Wall Street. Mm -hmm. How do I get to Wall Street? Mm -hmm. And they've ended up having fantastic careers mm -hmm. there. Um, but what I really loved about it was you learned in so many different ways things that managers did right mm -hmm. and things that managers did wrong. Yeah. And how do you make decisions when you don't have perfect input from right. data? Right. Well, that's good. I, you probably learned a lot more at business school than undergrad, I would guess. But About um, that, for sure. Yeah. 